John 18. We'll start at verse 37 and then we're going to read into chapter 19. So then Pilate said to him, you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber, 19 verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to him, To them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to the law, to that law he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, about 6 a.m. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So I didn't finish last week, and so we're, well, what I was going to finish last week, we're going to start with today, and, and I want to talk first of all this morning, the question of the ages, a question that is very relevant in our culture today, and that is, what is truth? What really is the truth? And so Jesus has been communicating with Pilate that he came for the purpose of establishing the truth. Pilate asked the, the question, what is truth? And then he walks away and he goes back outside to the Jews. This question that Pilate poses here has been a question for a long time that many have pondered about what did Pilate mean? It's gotten lots of attention from scholars. 
Um, Christ followers, those who do what I do in preaching, have wondered, what did Pilate mean? And since we weren't there, we can't really hear the tone in which Pilate spoke. Um, We're not for sure how serious that he was. So the best way that we can do is to really just look at what happens. Look in the text, not speculate and not assume too much and see what actually happened. And so I've given quite a bit of thinking to this and wanted to share the perspective that I believe that the text indicates to us in regard to Pilate's what is truth as he asks this question. Two things, my conclusion are are settled on two things that I think the text shows us. I don't think Pilate was interested in what the truth was. I think it was an intriguing thing that he heard from Jesus. Um, I don't think it was a truthful seeking question that came from him. Um, Again, we don't know if he asked it in a mocking contempt of, are you kidding me, what is truth, something of that nature. The reason I think he wasn't serious is that if he was serious, he would have said, what is truth? And he would have stayed there and he would have listened to the answer. The text tells us that he says the word, what is truth, and he immediately turns away and he walks away from Jesus. He doesn't ask any follow-up questions. There's no seeking out any more information. So the indication there is that Pilate was not asking the question, what is truth, because he really wanted to know what truth was. I don't think he had any interest at all. He's just trying to figure out how do I get out of this Jesus issue that has been brought to my doorstep on this night. And so I want to talk about those two things just for a moment um, so that we can see what I believe the text is actually saying to us. So the Gospels reveal, if you will read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they reveal to us when honest seekers of the truth came and asked Jesus questions, what did Jesus do? He engaged them. He would communicate with them. But when he encountered religious hypocrites or others who who were fighting him and were not interested, there there was a lot of conflict that was there and sometimes there was not a lot of dialogue. And I believe that if Pilate was truly serious, that he really wanted to know what the truth was, that even in that late hour... Even though Jesus is going to be crucified on that day, I believe that Jesus would have taken several moments, do you not, and talked with Pilate about what the truth was. He just told Pilate it was the reason he came. If that's the reason he came, and Pilate was serious about what what knowing the truth was, I believe Jesus would have engaged him right there. Pilate lived and worked in a violent, greedy, lust for power, diminished view of human life world. That's the world that he lived in, and he was a leader in that world. Perhaps he was like many of the people in our day and time who are great cynics of truth claims, and even great cynics of the truth, and they consider all the talk about absolute truth a bit silly. Have you met people like that? I have. They just think it's ridiculous that we want to talk about and establish that there is an absolute truth because our culture has gotten to a place where truth is just whatever anybody wants to make it out to be in the moment can change later that afternoon and it can change the next day so i think if Pilate were truly seeking the truth and even in the moment before the cross I i think jesus would have spoken to him about that and there are many people like Pilate. there are scores and scores of people 
who consider the whole discussion of truth to be ridiculous. And so while there may be an initial conversation, they are just like Pilate. They will walk away from any kind of discussion in regard to the truth. So the second thing that I, again, believe that the text indicates to us, so one is um, the fact that Jesus doesn't answer his question and doesn't go any further indicates that Pilate wasn't really serious about that because Jesus knew that Pilate wasn't serious about that. Secondly, the fact that Pilate walks away. And so after he had said that, the text says he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. I think he's like a lot of people. Um, We work with them. We live by them. Um, They're in our family. It may even be somebody in the room this morning is that ultimately people sometimes a lot of people just aren't even interested at all in the truth and even knowing it they just want to live their life pleasing themselves getting what they can get whatever the case may be and there's no interest in being guided by an absolute truth that comes from the revelation of God's word and so they just live this way and they're not interested with it Pilate wasn't upset with Jesus's answer there's no indication there that he was bothered by it He just went, what is truth? And I think he probably said it in a mocking tone, just thinking about what in the world has happened? What has been brought to my doorstep on this night? And I've had these conversations. This guy's just told me that his kingdom is not of this world. If it was of this world, his followers would have come and they would have fought um, for him not to be arrested. They haven't done that. And and so he's pondering all of these things. And now he's at the place where he's like, "What? what is truth? Are you kidding me? That all of this is about a conversation of truth. And yes, Pilate, it is a conversation about truth. It's who Jesus is. It's why he's came. And it was an important reality for him to see, but he's not interested in it at all. The gospel accounts reveal to us so many opportunities that people had of Jesus being near them. Pilate's been in charge for three years. He would have heard about Jesus. There's no indication that he ever traveled outside of Jerusalem or where one of his other houses were in Caesarea um, to go and hear Jesus or have a conversation with Jesus. He doesn't seem to really pursue much on this night, even though he has um, uh, multiple encounters on this night to talk with Jesus. We don't know how much time that he has, but the indication there is he probably had some quite a bit of time that he could have talked with Christ and asked some more questions, but he just simply does not do that. There are people in the room this morning who have an opportunity again to hear the gospel this morning, to hear God's Spirit calling you to faith this morning, calling you to a place of truth. And maybe your response today is going to be mocking in your heart what is truth. It's not really that big a deal. I'm going to be good enough to be able to earn my way into heaven. And I remind everybody in the room this morning, whether you firmly believe that you cannot earn your way, that it's only by grace and it's only by the work of God, or whether there's a mocking in your heart about the idea of truth. Truth is real, whether you believe it or not. And Christ is the truth, and our lives must be connected to Him. So Pilate has a perspective of truth. His perspective doesn't negate the fact that truth is truth, and truth is a person, and truth is is Jesus. And so he has all of these opportunities. Many of us have many opportunities. And so here's Christ standing before Pilate, speaking biblical, God-centered truth to Pilate, and he has no interest in it. 
He just doesn't seem to really want to know what Jesus has to say. If he had been serious about really knowing what is the truth, again, he would have stayed around. The essence of his soul rests in the answer to that question. But he chose just to remain indifferent to Jesus. He chose to remain focused on himself. And again, if Pilate wanted to know the answer, he could have been patient and Jesus would have given him answers. And I believe that all around us, all over our culture today, are many people who speak of the need for what is real. God, we need to, we need to get to a place where we really know what's true and what's, what's, what's real. But they don't investigate. They don't sit down and have serious conversations with people who know things about the truth. They just keep a strong animus and antagonism toward the scripture, toward Christians, toward absolute truth. And they willfully choose to remain ignorant of any kind of idea of seeking the truth of God. So again, Pilate had multiple chances He had three years of hearing about Jesus. He's had face-to-face conversations on this night with Jesus. His wife has had a terrifying dream, sent word, don't mess with this righteous man. And all of those opportunities, he squanders them. We exist in a culture, a Western culture, an American culture that has such a rich heritage of faith that has lost its way, deeply lost its way. And it's lost its way because there is no consideration at all for the truth of God's standards connected to the scripture anymore. Nobody's really interested. And now you'll hear it on television. You'll hear it from people in power. You'll hear it from corporations. You'll hear it from groups that there's a desire for what's real and true to be a part of the culture, but there's no decisions, there's no legislation, there's no communication of anything connected to that. Truth is simply not fashionable anymore in our culture. But it must be our great passion. We don't buy the lie of the culture. We are countercultural. We are biblical. We are not of this world. We are in the world, not of this world, because we have been born of God. And so so here's Pilate, a cynic. Ask the right question. What is truth? It's the right question to ask. But every bit of his indication was he didn't want to know any of the answers. And I don't hold all the answers, but I know this does. It holds the answers. And I've come to know that this guides us into knowing the reality of who God is. And so Pilate recognizes, I'm not winning this. And so as he, as he has this conversation, he asks the question of the ages, what is truth? Jesus has said, I, I came for this. And now he realizes, okay, I can't, I, I can't fix this, I can't address this. And so he thinks to himself, a man-centered answer to this is, maybe I can get the Jesus issue off of my hands by trusting in a custom of I can release a prisoner or I can release Jesus. And so he thinks to himself in the moment, maybe this will kind of help me find some freedom from the Jesus issue. So look at 39 of 18. But you have a custom 
that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they simply cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, um, and we're going to move on to chapter 19. But I just want to touch on this for a moment. Barabbas' name is very interesting. It's Bar-Abbas. Abba means what? Father. You know what Barabbas' name means? Son of the Father. Who is Jesus? He is the Son of the Father. So as Pilate comes out, he says, Do you want me to release to you the Son of the Father, Barabbas? Or do you want me to release to you the Son of God? who is the king of the Jews, who is the king of the world, and his name is Jesus. And so he asks them, who do you want? I remind you and I this morning that every day of our life, in this room right now, in this moment, this afternoon, tonight, last night, on Monday, for the remainder of our lives, there will be a question that is posed to us, and it's this, who do we want? Who do we want? Do we want Jesus and all of the truth that is connected to him? Or are we going to choose a pseudo person, a pseudo idea about faith and about things and about truth? And so it's presented before the Jews. Do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? And the same thing is consistently asked of us. Who do we want to be the one who guides us in our lives? And so as we step into chapter 19 now, we're going to see the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53, that great text about the suffering servant. Um, we will kind of, if, you, if you're okay with that, um, if you're, can you multitask? If you can put a finger in Isaiah 53, I would encourage you to do that because we're going to kind of go back and look at that and we're going to be in John chapter 19. We can do that, right? Okay, we can probably multitask and do those two things. Because I want us to see the fulfillment of that here. We're going to continue to see now in chapter 19 that Pilate's trying to get out of the Jesus issue. He doesn't know what to do. He's going to continue to make some decisions in regard to that. The great battle is going to continue. Satan wanting to get rid of the influence of the Son of God. So let's read again 1 through 3 and let's talk about um, what we see here in regard to the violence and the devaluing of life by humanity. So Pilate's losing the case, and so John 19, verse 1 through 3 says, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Your translation may say scourged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hell, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. History has plenty of proof of how humanity can look at another person and not see anything of value in that person at all and can do some of the most heinous, grotesque, violent things to someone else. Pilate does something strange in regard to what he's been confessing. I don't know if you noticed this. Six times Pilate says the same phrase. I find him innocent I don't find anything wrong about Jesus. He just kept saying it over and over. So here's a judge 
who finds someone that he knows all of the witnesses are lying. They're making up stories. Uh, we learned last week uh, or a couple weeks ago, it was either in Matthew 26 or 27. He knows that it's out of envy. They're jealous of Jesus. That's why they brought Jesus to his doorstep on this night. He knows it's out of envy that they've done this. And yet he finds Jesus, no fault in him, no credible witnesses. And here's what this judge does. Well, let me just beat the man to death. Let me just do that. That's the decision I'm going to make. Though I think he's innocent, let me send him away and let me scourge him. So why in the world does he send a man that he believes six times he affirms as a judge to be innocent, to be stripped of his clothing and flogged? Pilate, we see here, has not been successful at dealing with the conniving and the manipulation of the religious leaders so that he can release Jesus. And though he knows Jesus is innocent, he is a weak man. And so instead of just making a decision and sending Jesus on his way, but we, we know that somebody else, by the way, is more in charge on this night, right? What's going to happen to Jesus? He's going to the cross. Now, God could have gotten Jesus to the cross without Pilate's help. Pilate has a choice on this night. He has a choice. He's responsible for the decisions that he's making. He's going to pretend in a moment that he's not responsible as he takes water and washes his hands, but he's responsible on this night. But he's a weak man, and he does something that's not in line with what he's been verbally confessing over and over. There is nothing wrong with Jesus. He has not sinned. He's not committed a crime against Rome. He's not committed a crime in Israel. But he just wants to get off the hook in regard to all of this. And so he thinks his solution is violence. Now let me just stop here for a moment. If we could just pull up the television this morning, major news, and just put it on the screen this morning of things that are going all over the world. Do you know what leaders are doing all over the world today? They are dealing with problems by violence instead of the truth. This is going to continue to be the case. It has always been the case. And that's why the people and lands long for righteous leaders, right? We long for people to make decisions grounded in what's true and right. And yet that is not the case. And so here's Pilate has an opportunity to do something that he knows is right. Jesus is innocent. And yet he chooses the course of violence. The flogging of Jesus by Pilate was another attempt of a compromise, I think, by him in regard to his relationship with the Jewish leaders. He knows they want him dead. Pilate has found Christ innocent. So to maybe help lessen their desire for death, let me bloody the guy up for a little bit, and maybe they're going to feel sorry for him. Maybe they'll go, okay, that's enough. He's not dead, but look what has happened to him. The historian Jerome wrote of Jesus' flogging. It's interesting as he wrote of this, he described that six men participated in the flogging of Jesus. Now you may have heard um, throughout history, Paul refers to this in 2 Corinthians, that he refers to that he received the lashings at the hand of the Jews 
um, the 40 minus 1. The Jews couldn't, you couldn't do something to someone over 40 times. And so in case somebody ever miscounted, they would only do 39 so that they wouldn't reach 40. Listen to me, that was a Jewish law. Listen, Rome did not follow what the Jews had to say. They could beat someone as much as they want. So Jerome writes of the flogging and scourging of Jesus that it took six men. Most likely, they tired out of this. If you've seen Mel Gibson's thing, whether that's fully accurate or not, it's at least according to what Jerome writes here, it probably took quite a while, the scourging of Jesus. They would have a handle that was about this size, wood, leather wrapped around it, and it would have whips that went out at the very end of the whip. Um, there would be what was called the cat of nine tails. It would, there would be nine strips of leather, and at the end of that there would be a ball where they would put metal and rock and other stone in there. And so for a while, at least according to Jerome, if this is right, they beat Jesus, six men did. And we have no idea how long it took, but they beat him pretty mercilessly. Rome wouldn't even allow their, a Roman citizen to be beaten this way. But they would do this to Jews. I mean, that's how heinous it was. They would not allow one of their citizens to be beaten this way. They couldn't stomach this. And this is even before the crucifixion. After they are done with that, the scripture tells us there in verse 2 that they took a crown of thorns. We've kind of got one up here. You can just kind of, kind of imagine that. Freshly woven together, put it on Christ's head. Since I, have, since I consistently shave my head, I find myself bumping it all the time. Just constantly. I don't know what the case is. And so... Um, I, I, it's like I, hair kept me from bumping my head, but I bumped my head. And if you know anything about head, head wounds, they bleed quite a bit. And so not only did Jesus endure, if Jerome is right, I don't know, have any reason why Jerome would not write this, beaten by six professional men. Now they take a crown of thorns, they shove it into his head, not nicely, by the way. They didn't, they didn't put a bonnet on Jesus. They put it in his head, and then if you notice what the text says there, they punched him in the face. Probably likely also hitting. We know that at one point in time, they stuck a reed in his hand, and they took it out of his hand, and they hit him on the head with it, driving the thorns into his skull. Not only if that was not enough... They arrayed him in a purple robe. Purple was the clothing reserved for royalty. This is another mocking of Jesus on this early morning. To mock his kingship, his claim to be the king. So they wrap him in a purple robe. We know that before they send him back out, they put the robe on uh, him. And I remember as a kid, um, I used to fall and skin my knee a lot and... uh, I think jeans used to be tougher back in the day when I was a kid. But I remember sometimes I'd fall on the playground and, and uh, you know you're bleeding underneath your jeans and you go and sit in the classroom and it clots, right? And then you've got to get up and, and that scab underneath your jeans and on your knees just pulls and opens things up. And so they put this royal robe 
on Jesus and he begins to claw it and then they rip it off of him. And I'm not trying to be gross this morning. I just want to be biblically truthful that we feel the weight of the blood of Jesus flowing out of his body to cover your sin and my sin. So they have spit on him. We also learn that um, Isaiah chapter 50, if you're there in Isaiah, would you not 53, go back to chapter 50 just for a second and we'll get to 53 in a moment. This is likely, this is Isaiah's prophecy of Christ. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. Isaiah 50, verse 6. This is the prophecy of Christ. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from the disgrace and spitting. Pulling out of the beard was common in those days um, by those who would be crucified. It was part of the humiliation. Um, Historical records of the Jews, um, they write of this describing men who have been condemned to death and having their beards torn from their faces. Isaiah is clear in writing in chapter 50 that this experience of ripping the beard from Jesus happened um, most likely at this particular point in time. Matthew describes the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy as they spit in his face, they strike him with their hands. And it was, again, most likely during this time where they Um, gave him the dishonor of pulling out his beard. Go to chapter 52 of Isaiah now. There's another prophecy and prophetic picture of John 19. Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, His appearance was so marred beyond human resemblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Go to chapter 53 now. Verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Look at verse 5 of Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. It was written that Jesus would be humiliated. He would be brought to a place of, of this before and at the cross. This was all part of the suffering for our sin. And so for you and I to understand the blackness and the destructive nature of sin, we need to see all that happened, all that was there, all that was done to him. For it is our sin that is doing this. This is is our sin. You will hear this today, and it's a lie. You will hear today in our world that people are good. They're good. By nature, people are good. The problem with that is it makes us feel better. It's just not biblical. Listen to what Paul writes. This is Romans 3, starting in verse 10. 
as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All, all includes, last time I learned this, includes everybody. All have turned aside from God. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And yet the miracle of all miracles is that God rescues people like that who can't do good, who aren't good. And He brings us into salvation. He brings us into relationship because of the work of Christ. So as followers of Jesus, we see the violence and the devaluing of life by humanity toward the most righteous one who ever lived, and that's Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we must see the enormity of our sin and what it did to Jesus. So now Pilate goes out again. Look at verse 4 and 5. And let's talk about the false authority of man before God. So Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to him, Behold the man. So let's talk about this for a moment. Pilate feels like he's still in control of the situation. Kind of feels like he's in control. He's been able to tell Jesus, okay, you've got to come out with me. Jesus goes out with him. He's standing for the people. They're in the praetorium that's there. People are gathering. The religious leaders are down in the crowd. We know that they work the crowd in a, in a minute to begin to tell them to shout that they want Barabbas and, and to keep Jesus and to do away with Jesus. And, but, and so he thinks, boy, I'm still in control of this. Let me, let me do this. Let me bring him out. And he brings him out and he makes another confession out loud. I don't find anything guilty with him. He's innocent. I don't find anything. For Pilate, it's a settled matter. Jesus is innocent. A good question to ask at this particular point in time is if Pilate felt so strongly about Christ's innocence and he has all this authority that he keeps bragging about that he has, why doesn't he be a man and do something? He should just exercise the authority that he says that he has and just ignore the religious leaders. After all, again, he just likes saying, I am in charge. But someone greater than Pilate is at work on this day. And I'm overwhelmed right now in this moment of this reality. Pilate's not in charge. The Father, Abba, Father is. And God so loved the world and loved you and loved me so much that He is allowing this to be done to His Son. Not because He hates His Son, but because the Father hates sin. And he knows its destructiveness. And that sin is going to be placed on Jesus. So that eventually all who come to faith, they're going to get his righteousness. Our sin is placed on him. And we will get his righteousness on us. Pilate is just wishy-washy. It's kindly saying this. And he'll end up believing the innocence of Jesus. But on every turn on this night, he will reveal what's most important to Pilate. And that's himself. It's not Christ. It is himself. Sadly, 
He doesn't live by convictions. And I want to talk about this for a moment because I think it's really important for us before we move on to the next um, perspective today, and it's this. Living by strongly held convictions for some reason has become a rarity in our culture today. Because many just change like a chameleon. I've got these anoles that live at my house. And whatever they get on top of, they change into that color. They're fascinating to watch it. But that's not what Christians are to do. We are to be the kind of people who live by firm, settled, biblical convictions. So here's Pilate bragging about all of this great authority that he has. Here's Pilate bragging about and affirming, I've got an insight to you guys that Jesus is innocent. And yet all of this stuff that he says that he has, authority, convictions that Jesus is innocent are cast aside as he thinks of himself as most important. So I remind you and I this morning of the incredible importance in this day and time and will become more important in the days ahead that you and I know the scriptures and you and I live by biblical convictions. If you and I do not, then we will be tossed about, as James writes in chapter 1, tossed about by the philosophies of the world, um, like, like, like being on the waves, just tossed about, going back and forth. Note verse 5, Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Let me touch on this just for a moment, and we'll move to the next point today. It must have been a shocking sight for people in the crowd that day who had seen Jesus heal people and seen his kindness. To look at him, who had sat under his teaching maybe for hours on the Sermon on the Mount, and to now sit there and look at that and go, that can't be Jesus. And yet it was. It's clear what Isaiah writes there, that he was beyond human recognition. You couldn't recognize him. His face would have been swollen He would have had open wounds on his shoulders. Um, He would have been just a mess of a person still wearing the crown of thorns. And so when Pilate says, behold the man, it's a bit ironic. He didn't look like a man. He was so beaten by the actions of Rome. Look what happens now in verse 6. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, There wasn't pity that was there. They cried out and said, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, you take him yourself and crucify him. And again, here's another affirmation. For I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself be the son of God. Let me stop here for a moment. Hang with me. Here's ultimately... Why, Jesus, why why were they so passionate about Jesus dying? This is the reason. He had spoken truth about who He is, that He's the Son of God. They've been mad about this since John chapter 5. When on the Sabbath day He healed the man that was a paralytic for 38 years, and, and He spoke that day, and it says it there in John chapter 5, that they wanted to kill Him on that day, Because he made himself to be equal with God. 
by claiming to be the Son of God, he is saying, I am equal to God. I, I am equal to Him. And so, so ultimately, why, why did they put Jesus on the cross? They put Jesus on the cross because He was claiming to be who? Claiming to be God. And so that's why they put Him on the cross. Also fascinating and interesting and scary. Unbelievably scary. Those most steeped in training, in vocation, in time, in study, in school, in devotion, who knew the sacred Old Testament scriptures, look at the one who is the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament scriptures, and all they can cry out is, crucify, crucify. There he is. Their long-awaited Savior, their long-awaited Messiah, he is all bloodied before them. And instead of being broken over it, they just revel in it and shout for more blood. So Pilate says to them, you take him. You take him. I don't find any guilt in him. He just throws it in their hands and gives it to them. But guess what about them? They're really weak as well, just like Pilate is. No, no, I don't have that authority. They, they want Pilate to do the work. And so he tells them, okay, I give you permission. You take him and you crucify him. But they're not interested in that, again, because they are weak. And again, this is the third time in John. Other texts say to us that Pilate, again, just over and over keeps saying Jesus is innocent. And though the Roman government found no guilt with Jesus, again, I remind us, we know of something far greater is at work on this day, and we want to praise God about that. This is the work of salvation. This is the promise of Genesis 3.15, that one would come and he would crush Satan. If you're still there in Isaiah, I told you you should be, okay? Go to... 53, go to verse 6 now. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep, that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. It's interesting on this night, nobody wants responsibility for what is taking place. They just want the act done. So now they make an appeal to the scriptures for Jesus to be crucified. He has made himself to be the son of God who is the fulfillment of the law to be killed on this day. Jesus was absolutely right about them at every turn. Always right about them. They are blind guides. They are hard-hearted men. And they are dull of hearing. They are likely here appealing to Leviticus 24, 16 that whoever blasphemes the Lord was worthy of being stoned to death. And so now they've changed the charge. Earlier it was about the temple. He was going to destroy the temple. They tried to find 
this and that and find all these liars. Now they've changed it all. He needs to be dead because he has claimed to be the son of God. And let's talk about the greater sin now. Look in verse 8 now of John 19. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And so he entered his headquarters again and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Let me stop there. This is a response question. Why did Jesus not respond here? What did they talk about last week? Did they not talk about where he was from? He told them last week, I'm not from this world. My kingdom's not of this world. He's already answered this question to Pilate. Again, I think another indication, Pilate was not interested when he asked the question, what is truth? He wasn't interested in the truth. Jesus would have talked with him. And so he doesn't answer Pilate here. Where are you from, Jesus? Silence. Silence. He's already answered the question. So then it says this, Do you not know, Pilate said to him, Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And then Jesus did speak to that question and statement. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. And therefore... He who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So let me ask the question. So why is Pilate afraid when he hears that Jesus has made himself or called himself to be the son of God? So here's two ideas. One idea is simply this. If this, is, if this king of the Jews is the son of God and Pilate has him killed, Pilate's going to have a riot on his hands, though he already sees that a riot is beginning to establish. Also this. You ever read Greek mythology and Rome, about the Greek gods and the Roman gods? When they came down, they were not always friendly. They were violent to people. And so now Pilate, who's a polytheistic worshiper, thinker of Greek gods and Roman gods, if I kill one of the sons of God, or if I kill the son of God, what are the other gods going to do to me? So he, he's troubled. What am, I, what am I to do about this? Okay, if this is the king of the Jews and he's the son of God and I kill him, I'm going to have a riot on my hands. Caesar's going to hear about this and I'm going to lose my position. And then he's thinking in the moment, if this is one of the sons of the gods, then they are going to come and they're going to do something to me. So he entered his headquarters again and he said to Jesus, where are you from? And Jesus just says nothing. This is a fulfillment of what we read a while ago in Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. He's not going to answer this question in this moment. So he tries to threaten Jesus, intimidating, get Jesus to speak. It's a really bad thing when Jesus decides to no longer talk to you. And in this moment, he's not going to talk to Pilate about that and then Pilate blusters I have the power over you to release you or to crucify you and Jesus like no 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 my father's in charge of today you're not my father is
So Jesus speaks to him about the authority and what's there. Pilate is told that he who has delivered him has the greater sin. I'll just say this as well. Pilate still has responsibility in regard to this. He doesn't get off scot-free because of what he might do and what he might not do. He has responsibility in the moment. Look at 12 and 13 now as we finish up. So from then on, notice that phrase, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. Let me just stop there for a moment. We have no idea what else he tried. But is it not clear he tried probably multiple things to try to get out of this? So he's trying early in the morning, how do I get out of this? And we don't know what all the other things that he did, but he tried some other things. So from then on, he sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out. He sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is called Gabbatha. So Pilate is at this point where he's convinced of the innocence of Jesus. So is he going to do the right thing? Is he going to cave in and just make things easier on himself? Jesus is going to die at this Passover. It is going to happen. But Pilate in this moment still has a choice. Is he going to be a man of conviction? Is he going to do the right thing? Or is he going to be a coward? And from then on it says Pilate tried to release him. Sometimes you and I have the opportunity to do the right thing. We have the means We have the insight, we know what we ought to do, we know what we ought to decide, and we don't do it. This is Pilate, and sometimes in those moments, we have the choice to be a courageous man or woman, student, or be a coward. We will all face moments like this at times in our life, and Pilate thinks again he can just get out of this. And so um, the Jews now, the religious leaders, make an appeal back to Pilate, because they're a little afraid now that he's going to release Jesus. And so they said, listen, if you, Pilate, if you love Caesar and you're loyal to Caesar, you'll have this man crucified because this man is no friend of Caesar. He's made himself out to be king in competition with Caesar. Again, a lie from them. So Pilate hears the words. He gives in. He embraces the life of the coward. He brings Jesus out. He sits down on the judgment seat. And he decides to be loyal to Caesar and not Christ. He makes his choice. He would remain a loyal, immoral leader, just like Tiberius Caesar, just like him. And he would make a big pronouncement here. about Christ's guilt. I remind you and I of this. Do you feel the weight of this this morning? This is being done to our Savior because of us. We, I don't get to go, Angela's sitting there, not me. I'm, not me. 
No, we, we sent him there. Our sin. Brought about, this is the only way this could be fixed and addressed. It's heavy. And yet, how amazing that people so broken like you and I are, like I am, have an eternal God who's never had a beginning and who will never have an end, willing to go to this length to rescue us. How incredible is that? What grace, what mercy that we sang about a while ago. It's your mercy. What we deserved, we didn't get. What we didn't deserve to get, we get. It's called grace. It's amazing. It's powerful. And I remind you and I, because of the, what I'm about to say is not popular today. In a Western culture, progressive Christianity. But I'm going to say it because it's biblical. Because we have been saved by such an incredible, beautiful, powerful, lasting salvation, the gift of God's Son, we are to now live in light of what has been done in faithful obedience to Him. And I just remind you and all that as Pilate sat down at the stone pavement and he pronounced a judgment, we will be judged by our works. Praise God, we're not going to be judged for our sin. Jesus took care of that. But we will stand at a bema seat, a judgment, and be judged by how we lived our faith. It's not popular today to talk about that, but I would not be loving to you to not remind you and I of that truth. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether it is good or evil. Let's close here. Look at 14 now. So it's Friday morning. It's the day of preparation of the Passover. It's 6 a.m. right up there. And he said to the Jews, notice he changes it, not behold the man. Now he says what? Behold, watch, don't, don't, don't miss this. Behold the man. Now he's like, behold your king. Note the words. He's not Pilate's king. Behold your king, Jews. Here's your king. Here he is, your king. Not my king, your king. Behold your king. These are just words Pilate said. On another day, he'd say other words to get out of it. Behold your king. And they cried out. Again, I remind us, those most learned in the Old Testament scriptures, they have waited since the Garden of Eden for the Son of God to be standing in their midst. And there he is. There is the eternal Son of God. And listen to what they say. Away with him! Away with him! 
Get him away from us. Thousands of years. Heartache after heartache. Foreign nation after foreign nation coming in. God bringing judgment upon them. Sacred scripture after sacred scripture. Prophet after prophet. Preaching after preaching. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. He's been in their midst. And all they can say now is, away with him. Get him away from me. So Pilate, one last time, shall I crucify your king? In the greatest hypocrisy, the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. What's the Ten Commandments say? You're going to have no what? God's before it. Listen to what, they, listen to what these religious leaders say. Yeah, we're good with that. You know, Caesar had done this. You had to go into the temples all over the Roman world, pay a coin, and acknowledge that Caesar is God. And now you've got the chief priests going, yeah, we're okay with that. We're okay with acknowledging Caesar. Matthew 27 24 says this, so that when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, and he wasn't gaining anything, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. You see to it yourselves. Water's pretty good at getting dirt off. But it can't cleanse the heart. Cannot. Pilate doesn't want any guilt, and so he thinks that he can just wash his hands. But that's not going to fix him. Only a Savior can wash him. And the only way that he can be washed is in the blood that is flowing, by the way, from the man, the God man standing right in front of him. He is such a picture of our world where so many think that by being good or by an action, I can just do this and everything's going to be okay. I can just wash my hands of this or some other action that will cleanse us of our guilt. And Pilate fears, feels better in the moment. Don't you think he does? Probably feels better in the moment. He's kind of done something. He's lost today. He knows that he's lost every argument that he's tried to do to get Jesus to be free. He's lost it all. He has personally received revelation of Christ before him. They've had conversations. And he just wants to wash his hands of the guilt. All right, we got to finish. I guess, right? Sometimes we ought to just stay. How about today? be the day for some of us in the room that we quit trying to wash our guilt away by that which cannot wash guilt away. Can't. Just can't. And why not today see the wonder of what's running through this text? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And some of us in the room probably are thinking, well, if I come to church enough, if I read the Bible some, if I'll clean up that stuff that nobody knows about, then I'll be okay. And I just want to tell you, no, you won't be okay unless you're washed by the blood of Jesus. Only then. And then, let's be honest, Christians, are we really okay? We need him every moment. Some days we're not okay. We will not be okay until we stand in his, in his presence. Then we're going to be okay. So I just, I remind us, we're going to be broken until we don't breathe anymore at times. Do you agree with me about that? We will remain broken, some of us more than others, because of whatever the case may be. That's a reality of living here in a broken world. We're going to remain broken. But there's great hope for broken people, and it's the blood of Christ. He cleanses, He fixes, He heals. He's the one who does that. And though it's awful to read through this text again, this week my heart was heavy reading back through this. Of, gosh, what did, what, what, what did we do to the Son of God? And the tragic as it is, that that's our response. Away with them, away with them, away with them. Are you not thankful that He never said that about us? That He loved in such a way that He came here. So here's some takeaways today. It's not enough just to ask questions of truth. You've got to ask questions of truth and you've got to stay around and wait for answers. Pilate was just a bit player on the stage 2,000 years ago. Thought he had great consequence, he wasn't but he had such opportunity to know what was true. So as we seek truth, we want to seek truth and not get distracted by things that don't really matter. And we need to stay long enough to learn and find the answers. Secondly, I just remind us, here's a takeaway. The heart of humanity is dark without the blood of Jesus washing the heart. It's evil. It's evil. Let's just talk about truth just one second. We had a grown adult in our country this week testifying before Congress. Had a congressman ask them, can men get pregnant and have abortions? And that grown adult said yes. This is why you and I, our lives matter in a culture like that. We live the truth and speak the truth. Thirdly, take away, Jesus, by the way, is the Son of God, whether anybody in the room this morning believes it or not. Whether our, our culture mocks Him, their mocking doesn't remove the reality that He is the Son of God. So rejection of Christ doesn't mean that He's not the Son of God. He is the Son of God, and so let's remember that. Fourthly, we will live a life of courage or we will live a life of cowardice. 
And the conviction comes by knowing, again, the truth. And when we know the truth, there's a conviction that can be a part of our hearts and our lives to say what needs to be said and to live how we need to live. Fifth takeaway today is this. You are and I am responsible for our sin. It's real popular today. Well, I'm this way because I had messed up parents. You may have messed up parents. I've never gotten a trophy for parent of the year. I don't know if you have. Maybe you have. I haven't. I've not been a perfect parent. I've not been a perfect anything. But we're responsible. We are responsible. Do things influence? Yeah, they have lots of things influence us. And have a, so we're going to stand before the Lord and say, well, you know, Lord, I, I, knew, I knew the truth. I, I sat in church. I was in life group. I, I grew up in a youth ministry. And for the rest of my life, I just ignored all the things that I was taught. And I just did this because this happened to me. This was said to me. We are responsible. Pilate tried to wash his hands, but he couldn't. Here's the last takeaway. Here's the last takeaway today. Only the blood of Jesus washes us and makes us innocent. Only the blood of Jesus. God's goodness is overwhelming. Just overwhelming today that we are loved as we are. Let's pray.